uh, Company of One. It's there on my bookshelf, by God. And uh, really excited to be speaking with Paul Jarvis today. Paul, please tell our viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where they can go to learn more about you and your work. Yeah, thanks so much, Scott. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat with me today. So yeah, as you said, I'm, I'm Paul Jarvis. I have been doing internet things for about 20 years uh, as my own company for about 20 years, actually 21 years now. I always don't account for the present. Um, I write books, uh, as you mentioned, like the one you've got on your shelf. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. Uh, I do, I have a couple software companies. That's my main thing right now. Uh, primarily running a business called Fathom Analytics, which is simple privacy focused website analytics. And so that is pretty much my full-time job at the moment. Although I do oscillate um, sometimes to podcasting and, and writing, like I said, but I make internet things is the, the short and easiest answer here. Fun. Um, I am just a little bit curious about um, privacy analytics. What, what can you just uh, unpack what that uh, that is for technology man who earned his name not because he's good at technology? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that when we look at when we look at products that are free, say Google Analytics, for example, those kind, those products are run by companies that make billions of dollars a quarter. So while they're free to us in theory, they're not actually free because they do things like take our data and use it and sell it and advertise. So the premise of Fathom, the company that I have, is one that analytics should be simple because I can't even, I've been on the internet since it started and thousands of pages of reports for analytics. It's not something I care to learn. I don't want to have to take a course to learn how to do my analytics. The second thing is that uh, as a business, we charge for our software. So customers pay us money to use our software. So our business model is we give a service for money that you pay us as opposed to here's a free service and we're going to figure out a way to nefariously make money off of you in some way on the back end. So, yeah, and I, I just, I, as a human being on the internet, I just think that everybody has a fundamental right to, to some sort of privacy digitally. And if I can do a small part to do that, then that, that seems like a good idea to me. And luckily, the, the trend towards digital privacy has arced quite a bit more into the mainstream. When I started caring about this, it was more the tinfoil hat types. <laughs> they cared about digital privacy and then it's moved from there to be more of the collective consciousness the day we launched was actually the day that zuckerberg and this was unintentional but it was the day that zuckerberg was testifying in front of congress for privacy concerns about facebook so i think that it's all kind of lined up well for us yeah that sounds like uh the the, the stars aligned for sure uh, on that day. Well, that's, I mean, so what a concept, uh, transparency and, and honesty and digital technology. Uh, that sounds fairly revolutionary. Um, I, I can't wait to, to learn more about that. Um, I was really struck with your book uh, because at Creative On Purpose, one of the premises, core principles is go small. And we talk a lot about Seth Godin's ideas around the smallest viable audience. We talk a lot about um, minimal viable product, but we call it smallest viable offer. And uh, and then just that this idea of taking small steps every day, uh, you know, toward the possibility that you're trying to manifest. And so, a lot of the time that I was listening to your book on audiobook, which um, 
kudos to Amazon for figuring out a way for me to buy everything twice because I always listen on audiobook first. And if I really like it, then I have to get the hard copy so I can mark it up. Um, just lots of points of alignment with, with the ideas that you were unpacking there. But your, your book is not necessarily um, just for solopreneurs or, or freelancers. So just give us an, an idea of the genesis of the book. Who, who are you writing it for? And, you know, in your words, what's the, what was the one idea that you really wanted to get across? Yeah, so Scott, it actually started with my mailing list. Um, I've had a mailing list for eight years. It's called the Sunday Dispatches, so obviously I send out an email every Sunday. It makes sense. I did that as an accountability thing for myself. If I called it a day of the week, then I would be forced to do that, which was good because I've been absolutely consistent with that. I've never missed a Sunday, and it's helped build an audience. But one of the articles that I wrote, and this is probably three years ago because the book, the, this book came out, I think, January 15, 2019, I think. I don't remember. <laughs> I think it was then. So it was probably in 2018. I wrote an article, or actually, no, it would have been 2017 because traditional publishing takes that there's a long arc mm -hmm. for that. And it's something that I had to learn for this book because all my other books were self published. So I'd written an article, sent it to my mailing list, and it was more an explanation of how I personally feel that I want to run my business just so people could understand me better. And it was called something like why I don't care about growth. And in it, I talked about why the metrics of success that I have for my own business don't always align with what's in the media or what, it, what business gurus say to do. And I, I kind of explained why and why I wanted to question growth and why I wanted to think more about enough instead of all of it. And I usually get, I had probably about two or 300 replies to my newsletter this, I think I got 1,400 replies, and it was all people saying, I thought I was the only one who felt this way, or I thought I was a business weirdo for wanting to challenge the idea of growth in my business and go against the, I guess, growth hacky bros talking about that on the internet. And I thought, hey, there's something here. Like, there's, I thought it was just me explaining how I work, and instead I was explaining it in a way that resonated with a lot of people and I felt that, okay, this is something that I could write. This is how I've run my business since the 90s. So this is something that I can talk about and something I'm really interested in. And the fact that it was so popular on my newsletter helped my helped get the agent that I wanted and then helped her sell it to the, the publisher that I wanted to work with. And so, I mean, a, a lot of books is commerce too, right? Like I'm a, I'm a writer because I can, I can make money writing. And that's the reason that I write. And so I found that there was a viable audience for this and there was a demand for this. My audience was interested in it. So then it became, yeah, then it, then it became the, the book that it became, but it is, like I said, something that I've kind of done, I guess, unconsciously for the first probably 15, 16 years and then consciously past that. Really, really interesting. So, I mean, in a way it was a, a, a little bit of serendipity that brought you to write the book because it was just, you were just writing something that you were gonna write anyways. And when yeah. you saw that it really landed, it was something that you felt like could unpack further. And so one of the things that that speaks to that you also talk a little bit about in the book is this idea of like viability, like is the thing that you're going to do, that you want to do, that you're putting forth in the world or your next thing, if you're already in business, is, um, you know, is, is it going to fly? What are your, when you're doing something more on purpose, 
<laughs> what what are what are the tools that you use or what are the strategies that you use to test viability? Yeah, so for me, I know that there are other ways to do it, but the easiest way that I've found to figure out viability is to build an audience and then test ideas with them. So my mailing list, as I mentioned, <clears throat> is the, the place where I test my ideas, where I see what, what spaghetti strand is going to stick to the wall and what's going what's to bounce off. So I don't know how to build a business or a product without having an audience first. So I, I worked at building an audience first, listening to them, and then testing ideas with them to see what would fly and what wouldn't. All the courses that I've made, Fathom, everything that I've, the book, everything that I've done has come from me seeing how interested my audience is in it. And I think business uh, for a lot of times, and not just kind of in a hippie sense, but in a very pragmatic sense, is, is serving others. So if I know who the others are that I wish to serve, all I have to do is listen to them. If I have an idea for something and they don't want it, I'm not going to make that thing. So I'm always looking for, did I create something that other people want to buy? And then do those same people want to keep buying it? Or can they help me find new people to buy it? So recurring revenue basically versus one-time revenue. So, but it always comes back to, I, I, can, I build an audience and then I, I listen to them to see what they want. The book is 100% that, that model. So is everything that I've ever done. And so you're really starting with the audience that you already have, as opposed to trying to jam a bunch of people into a funnel, hoping that yeah. a few will trickle out and purchase something. Yeah, I don't know how to solve a problem and then look for people who have that problem. <laughs> I know how to find people that I want to engage with, listen to their problems, yeah. and then see if I can solve some specific ones. Well, I think that's really brilliant, but it, it bears underlining because so many people are doing it just the opposite way. Like I'm, I'm going to build a thing that I want to build because it's important and precious to me. And then I'm going to whine when nobody wants it and, you know, and go pout because nobody understands me and the noise in my head the way that I need them to in order to, to sell this thing. And the, that idea of having, you know, serving an audience, again, very aligned with creative on purpose, where we say you enhance your life most through endeavors that serve others, is like, you are also are kind of, it sounds like building in your marketing into that, because if you can so thoroughly delight and satisfy the people that you're currently serving, it's, it sounds like they're probably, it's like very likely that they're going to tell others like them that need something really similar. Yeah, I don't want to have to spend time cold calling or cold emailing. That I know some people are probably really good at that. It's not me. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather find things that will gain traction on there. I mean, Seth talks about this a ton in all of the writing that he does, is I would rather find things that inherently have traction associated with them. So for Fathom, before I even touched a line of code, and I'm not the coder anyways, it's a co-founder, but before I even looked for a technical co-founder, I thought, okay, this is a problem that people are having. Analytics are complicated. I spent an hour mocking up what I thought analytics should look like because I'm a, my background is design, posted it on Twitter, that tweet basically went like small time viral or however you want to say it. And I saw that people were so interested in this. They were like, here's some money. Like, would you, can you take my money? And why haven't you built this yet? And then as we were building it, we we're thinking, okay, what kind of things can we build into the product that will help our customers tell other people? 
And a lot of it comes down to with this is we're kind of building a movement with Fathom that has software attached to it. So a lot of people are caring about digital privacy and they want to tell their audience and tell other people how much they care about digital privacy. And so by buying our software and using our software, they can then tell their audience that the reason they're using Fathom and they're mentioning Fathom is because they want to protect the privacy of people who visit their website. And so that perpetuates uh, brand recognition, especially when we're in a market with some like Google Analytics, 75% uh, or 76% of websites on the internet use Google Analytics. So it's not like we're never going to overtake them. Like I can't see that being a possibility or something that's ever going to happen. But as well, coming back to the, the, the thinking smaller is we don't have to. Our business does well enough to support the salaries of myself and my co-founder. We don't need full market share in this niche to, to win we're doing a good enough job now with the revenue that it makes that we can be up, we're easily a fraction of a percent of the market share of what Google Analytics have. But at the moment, that's enough. Like we can support a two person business. Well, we can be profitable. We can have really great margins and it doesn't need to be something much more than, than it is. As long as we're keeping our customers happy, we're serving them and we're, we're making, we're making choices that help the help them, help make it easier for them to tell everybody that they know about the product. So we don't have to spend a ton of time on sales and, and cold outreach. Yeah. I really, really love that. You, you, you mentioned um, this idea of like leading a movement again, something that we talk a lot about in, in our community because oftentimes and push back on this if you don't agree, but I feel like in the digital world or in the solopreneur world or the freelancing world, we're all sharing ideas or um, products or offers that are very, that rhyme with a lot of other things. You can get a lot of, you know, you can find personal development type of stuff all over the internet, you know, coaching, community, what have you. What sets any, anyone's offering apart usually is they themselves. It's you are the differentiating value proposition of your endeavor and you have to see it as you are leading a movement you have to stand up and say this is who i am this is what i believe i'm going over there would you like to come with me i think a lot of people i know a lot of people because i coach hundreds in seth's world and when i put this out there there is the first reaction is almost always terror like, you mean I actually will have to stand up and be seen and speak up and be heard and say that I'm going to do something and make a promise and then keep it? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was ever a problem for you in terms of like really just owning your message and, and you know, your promise. Um, if so, I would be really curious as to any, you know, tactics or mindset ideas, you know, that helped you push yeah. through that. Yeah, I mean, for one, I do 100% agree. I don't, there's no pushback. <laughs> there's a chapter, I think it might be chapter eight in the book that talks about the the relevance of personality in, in what you do and, and taking a stand. And I mean, I think I started the chapter two about how I was picked on and bullied through school. And so I thought that my personality was the worst part about myself and I need to, to figure out a different way to to do the work that I did. But I also think that, a lot, and I've actually, I, I polled my audience on this. I like to do surveys with my audience because I like looking at data. 
And so I asked them, why do you buy from me? Because like you said, there are, I sell a freelancing course. There are literally thousands of freelancing courses or a business book. There are probably a million business books out there. So I asked them, why me? Why do you buy from me? Why do you listen to me as opposed to anybody else? And the answer that I didn't expect, but the prevailing answer that I received from that was that they wanted my take on the topic. The topic was important, but not as important as how I felt about it and, and my, my view and ideas on the topic. And so whether it's digital privacy or writing a book on business or, or anything, I feel that a lot of why, and like, I'm an introvert as well. I'm pretty socially awkward. Like I doesn't, that doesn't preclude me from having a personality in, in the work that I do. I think that if I am informed on a topic, then I can make a, a rational decision about it. And I can share that with my audience, not to, hey, you all have to believe this thing that I believe, but just in that, here's something that I believe, here's something that I feel to be true. If you challenge that, then let's talk about it. But otherwise, this is this is the line in the sand that I'm drawing. So things like um, writing about Black Lives Matter. I wrote about that last week. I, I technically run a, a business newsletter, but I felt that this was a very important topic. And business is, business is how money is generated and money makes a lot of decisions in the world. So I felt like, yes, this is absolutely important to have a conversation about. I didn't, my unsubscribe rate wasn't higher, it's about, it was about usual, I think 166 people unsubscribed, it's about normal <laughs> for me. Um, just things like, and it doesn't have to be a, a huge social issue. It can just be even something as, as simple as simple. So for Fathom, the, the software that I do, our, one of our tenants is that we want it to be simple. We want it to be easy. We want it to just, we want people to just log in for the first time and get it as opposed to having to do training and stuff like that. So we leave out so many features. We are so opinionated in the software that we make because we feel like simplicity is the best way to go for this software. People disagree with that. And there are a lot of people who it wouldn't be a good fit for. That is absolutely fine. And that we have no problem telling people like, hey, we don't think this is the best fit for you. If you need to track personal data or data by channel and attribute sales to specific individuals, it's not right for you. Like that's not something that our software does. And that does preclude some people from it, but for the people who it does work for, it draws them closer, right? It, it makes them see, okay, this is the place for me. Just like my newsletter, when I talk about staying small and questioning venture capital and, and unchecked growth, that does put some people off and that's absolutely fine. People have different opinions. I'm not saying my way or the book's way is correct. I'm saying if you feel similarly, then here are some tools that you can use to achieve goals based on you having a similar belief. And that I feel just becomes like a, a beacon or a lighthouse to the people who could most benefit from it. And then everybody else can turn their ship around and sail in another direction, right? So it does, I, I can't, it's hard to cater to everybody and have any kind of opinion. I never want to cater to everybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, if your work is for everybody, it's not for anybody, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, you know, obviously, what you just said aligns a lot with um, Seth Godin's work. He talks about like, you need to know who you're for. And you need to know who you're not for. And it's very liberating. And there's nothing more powerful um, than saying, you know what, I'm not for you. But you I, I can show you exactly where you should go. Um, and I just want to touch on this uh, because like you, 
when the the the, the Black Lives Matter thing came up again, um, you know, a lot of us, especially the you know somebody like me that's in a much even you know much smaller realm than 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 you are, had to make a decision: do I address this or do I not address this? And I looked at my mission statement, which says, or my vision is that everyone on the planet is entitled to fulfilling work that serves others. Okay. I talked about the pandemic a little bit. I mean, not all the time, but you know, I was like, Hey, we're in a moment and here's some ideas that I've been sharing all along that will help you. And so I, I, like you, I, I just said, Hey, I'm taking a break from the usual, you know, rah, rah, character matters and let's talk about purpose and let's you know it talk about integrity and intention and all that and we're going to talk about this for a second and like you in a way not much happened but in addition to losing a few that i was sorry to see leave because they felt like my blog was not the place to talk about this what was interesting i'm just curious if this was your experience is that i also got a ton of emails more emails saying, I really liked what you had to say here. And I appreciate you taking a stand here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I heard the most was, and I, I wasn't looking for praise or anything when I wrote that, I just wrote something from the heart because I, as a business owner, I take money from uh, black indigenous people of color. And my, a lot of my audience is that audience. So I feel like if I want to serve them the best, then I need to pay better attention to what they need that could be different from other members of my audience. I haven't done the best job at that in the past. And I know that it's something I can do better. And as well, I think, and I, I've written about the pandemic as well, I'm not a scientist, but I feel like there is an opportunity for people with an audience to obviously the majority of the time, you're going to put on your expert hat and share what you know as an expert. And that's fine. But I think that sometimes there are things, if they're of importance to you, where you can take that expert hat off. And I think the newsletter that I'm sending out this weekend is really just like, this is an expert Paul talking to you. This is Hugh and Paul, hi. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not an expert on this topic, but this is something that I feel is very important to, to share about. And I think the, yeah, I guess what I heard the most from people was I wish I could subscribe twice. And it's like, I'm just, I, in sharing what I, what I honestly and actually feel about a subject, then it draws the people who could gain the most from, from talking about it closer and it, it pushes the other, like I had some people replying with um, like wackadoodle theories and it's like, that's, that's fine. If that's what you believe, I, I wish that I could change your mind, but I'm not the expert here. And if I can't, I really hope that somebody can help just have you let you have a bit more of an open mind on a subject that you're not open to. Yeah. Because I think it's, it's hard to think about these things. It's hard to challenge ideas that we have. I think the main thing, especially with this, um, and we can, we can move on after, but I think the main thing with this is a lot of us feel that we are inherently good, right? That we're, we're good people. And I mean, I, for myself personally, I try to be a good person, a good business owner. And if something challenges that, then I, could, I, I might get defensive, right? Because I feel like, well, I am good. Like I'm not racist. But then if I think about, okay, well, if I'm not anti-racist, then what does that mean? And if, I'm, if me thinking I'm good and actually being good doesn't line up, then I need to break down those defenses and, and be open to what I can do to, to do better on this topic or on any topic, really, I think. 
Yeah, well, we we, we talk, we discuss a, a word every month. We spend an hour in a roundtable discussion just talking about one word. And the word this month, it was queued up long before anything happened, was consideration. Yeah. And it was just the idea, like, you have to have the, the capacity to understand that just like you, everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. And everybody does think that they're a good person. And they think that they're doing what's right. And it doesn't matter which end of that very wide spectrum of, you know, what's going on in the world now you're on, you think you're doing the right thing. And so then the challenge is, how can somebody think that that's the right thing when it's so out of alignment with what I think? And when you think about like, what would cause somebody to find, you know, then you can get past the value judgments and the blaming and the shaming and say, you, you know what, this is, this is worth paying attention to. And I'll just put a, 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 a punctuation mark on this by saying, those of us that are in these kind of businesses, we're not in B2B businesses or B2C businesses, we're in H2H businesses. Everything that we do is about human to human connection, communication, collaboration, you know, and being a human is a fraught <laughs> endeavor and it's not going to be perfect, but you know, we have to have, be willing to have the difficult conversations and not always, not always be right. I want to wrap up with something that you um, said a little bit ago, but it really resonated with me. This idea that you and your, your business partner have enough. And this has been a, my approach ever since my musician days. Like when I've turned pro as a musician, it was like, I got to make, enough today so that I get up tomorrow and do it again. That's all I need. And if I do that long enough, hopefully I'll have something to show for it at the end. And it's what I found is, and I was hearing this, what you're saying is like that idea of sufficiency when it's tied to striving, like you can have both the sufficiency actually enables the striving. Cause when you're, when you're always pursuing more and the scale, then all of your bandwidth is taken up with just, you know, holding on to what you got as opposed to innovating, improving, you know, getting more dialed in on your messaging and, and your audience. Um, so just would love to have you unpack that a little bit more. Sure. I mean, I was a touring musician for a very long time, so I totally, uh, I totally yeah. Well, there are 12 step programs. I don't know if you know about them, but you can, we can get you cured. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and I think that's probably, I'm glad you bring this up because this is probably the biggest misconception about the book and about the idea of enough is that people think that what I mean is you work to achieve a certain level and then you stop and are complacent. And that is really the opposite. And I mean, that comes down to me for not explaining it as well as I could in the book. And it's fine with books. It's something that stands at a specific point in time. So if, if I end up doing a second version, there are things, or a second edition, there are probably things that I would try to do a bit better. But I think that I didn't do, I didn't do as accurate a job as I could have in describing the post enough stage. So if you're working to achieve, say, a, a sustainable revenue for yourself or, or for you, your business, um, then it, it's not a matter of like, we, I can coast from here on out. It's a matter of exactly what you said. If, if we focus, if our focus shifts from more to better, then you, you're not getting off. You're just letting up on the throttle in a different way and focusing on other things, right? So it's just like, I can't stop 
because Fathom generates enough revenue for myself and my business partner to earn, earn an okay living, we can't just stop and say, like, we're done with the software. Like, we're just going to walk away. No, because one, competition would catch up to us. Two, people might have different, the, the, the trend or the view could change. So we have to always be innovating and working at making sure our customers are as happy as possible, which is... It doesn't end. Like part of the fun of being an entrepreneur for me is constantly checking in on that. But I think the main thing there is that I'm not going to forsake. And I think there's a chapter in the book on this as well. Is I'm not going to forsake the customers that I have for customers that I could have in the future. So I'm not going to take my eye off of prioritizing the people who are already paying me money to focus on people who make give me money. Right. So if all of my and the, the benefit of that is that growth is going to happen in that way, but it's not the focus, but it's the it's the outcome of that. So if I focus on my customers, if I make them happy, we just launched a couple new features last week. The price didn't increase. So we've increased the value without increasing how much people have to pay for it. That's going to help us grow. Like I, I know that for a fact because that's been that's been true for, for all of the things that we've done in the past. So if we focus on what we have and if we focus on the customers that we have and the revenue that we have then it is going to grow anyways we don't have to focus on it we can focus on where we are and focus on how we want to run our business how we want to show up in the world and what we want to do for our customers and the growth is the outcome of that anyways we don't have to focus on it because it's going to happen and so i think that's that's really what i think on that topic I, like i said i could have done a better job explaining what post enough was just like i could have done a better job explaining that the title doesn't just mean a one person business a lot of people the joke i hear every week is how are you in a couple businesses that have more than one person if you wrote a book called company of one i'm like tim ferris's four-hour work week doesn't mean that he works four hours people don't call him out for working five they probably do and it's just a joke he's heard so much he's become immune to it. So the point of the title was to question that if what we have is enough, and if it's not, then for sure grow. If your business isn't making enough revenue to sustain your life, then you have to grow it. Growth isn't bad. Growth just needs to be questioned before you proceed to it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, intentional growth for sure. Yeah, it's a, well, and having written some books that I wish I could go back and rewrite. Well, actually in the, this day and age, you can go re and rewrite them if they're on Amazon. So, um, but you, you, the other thing is that they're just, I mean, it's the beginning of a conversation. So the yeah. conversation continues. So I, I love to end these conversations with um, the same question for each of my guests. And that is if there was just like one tip or piece of advice that you would leave listeners with, to help them fly higher in endeavor where they seek to make a difference, what, what would that tip be? Um, actually, I, I think it's simple. How do you want to spend your day? Let that lead your business decisions, right? How, how do you want to spend your day? What makes you the happiest that's going to bring you money in your daily activities? Love it. What a great way to end. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. Paul and I really appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention. And we hope today's broadcast motivates you to lean into an endeavor that matters with greater curiosity and courage. You can learn more about Paul Jarvis. Where, Paul? Sundaydispatches.com. And there you go. And of course, it's always great to see you at creativeonpurpose.com as well. Now, go out and make a difference and keep flying higher. Paul Jarvis, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you.